The first college football playoff rankings are out, and there was some good news for the Ducks. There was some other type of news as well. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Please continue to like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching this show, which is brought to you today by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. If you were betting on Oregon to be number eight in the college football playoff rankings, well, then guess what? You would have been very, very correct, sir or ma'am, whoever you are listening to or watching right now. I think there were some good news as it pertains to Oregon's college football playoff hopes in, in this initial rankings, and there were other things that mm, may, maybe not quite as favorable. And again, I will reiterate, because I know some people will will be keen to say, Spencer, you don't think they're going to get there. No, I see them dropping one of those final three games. And again, I will reiterate. I've been wrong before, and Oregon's still in that conversation. And the number of seasons where you can talk about being in that discussion, legitimately having a chance, it's not every year. You shouldn't take it as a given. So we discuss because it's interesting, it is fun, and it's exciting for Oregon to be in that sort of position. They have earned the right to be in that position. So TCU being at number seven is a great sign. For the Ducks, a great, great sign as it pertains to them moving up the rankings as the season goes on. And the reason is not because TCU should be there. They should not be there. They should be higher in these rankings. But what it means is that the Horn Frogs are operating on thin ice. And Oregon needs a lot of dominoes to fall aside from them winning out, and they'll win comfortably this Saturday against Colorado, which I'll talk about a little later in the show. Also, just a sprinkle of men's basketball on the show today, because that starts on Monday. But TCU being number seven means that one loss drops them below Oregon automatically in the regular season. And then what that would therefore mean is a one-loss TCU Big 12 champion where that loss comes in the regular season and then they win in the conference championship game, Oregon could already be ahead of them at that point in time. That is a fully realistic scenario because for whatever reason, the committee is not giving TCU the respect that I think they deserve. But guess what? In this particular matter, what I think doesn't matter as much as what the committee thinks. And they've got TCU at number seven. I think that's excellent news for the Ducks. Another good piece of news. Oregon's the highest-rated Pac-12 team, but they're not the only one from the Conference of Champions to be inside the top 10. USC is right behind Oregon at number 9. A little peculiar, I'll say, because LSU's ahead of Ole Miss with two losses, but they won the head-to-head. Utah's got the head-to-head with USC. They have two losses, but USC's way ahead of them. I think we can all agree that brand recognition and brand power plays into these rankings, whether it's the AP, the college football playoff, there's always some level of institutional respect and some programs have to earn it more than others. 
Case in point, Clemson being in the top four. What in the world is Clemson doing in the top four? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know how they pass the schedule or the eye test to be in the top four right now. I mean, I'd put Alabama there before I'd put Clemson. I really would. You know, Alabama's a a, a field goal, just one made field goal away from not having Tennessee highly involved in this conversation. They wouldn't be in the top four right now. The Vols wouldn't be. Bama and Tennessee would probably be switched. And it would be a completely different conversation. I think Bama's a better team than Clemson. I think Oregon's a better team than Clemson. I think USC might be a better team than Clemson. That, that might be comparable, at least, because USC's defense is pretty bad. Like I know we've talked about Oregon struggles, but USC's defense has allowed 80 points in the last two outings. And one of those was to Arizona. Like, that just shouldn't... Tells you what you need to know about USC's defense. But speaking of the Trojans, it's good they're in the top 10 because other than UCLA, I don't foresee them losing a game on their schedule, including Notre Dame, who's playing a better brand of football, but they are still not very good. They will not be able to score with with Lincoln Riley's offense. There's just no way. The best situation for Oregon, though, going forward is to meet USC in the Pac-12 championship game. That would give them a top 10 win. And it would, I think, legitimize them as clearly the best team in the Pac-12 in the eyes of the committee. Because if UCLA beats USC, which is what I think will happen, but let's again say my prediction is wrong there, and Oregon gets a rematch with UCLA in the Pac-12 championship game, that's still a good win because UCLA would also probably be in the top 10 at that time. But beating the same team twice is not going to do as much for your schedule as it is beating each of the next top three teams in your league, and then you'd probably have the next two as well if Oregon were to be 12-1 and and having beaten Oregon State and Washington and Utah at that point in time. So that's the good news there. Here's here's the bad news. Well, let's do one more piece of good news, and then we'll go to uh, we'll go to the other side of the news from from these rankings and kind of my my reactions there. Alabama, don't sleep on Bama first of all, but Michigan. At number five is really good news. And so is Ohio State being at number three. The committee with that particular message, with those rankings, is saying that those two teams' strength of schedule outside of each other is not very good. And so... Though the 49-3 loss is really, really bad and the biggest thing Oregon will have to overcome, I think what you'd see, number one, is if Oregon had played a cupcake and if they were undefeated right now, they probably wouldn't be in the playoff because BYU is not having the sort of season that that they're capable of having. They're, I think, like 4-4, four and 4-5. Four, four and five. I mean, they they lost to East Carolina recently. I mean, they're, they're just not, not in a good place right now, which is surprising given their talent level, but that, that's a different conversation. But with Michigan and Ohio State being there, if they're... I, I was concerned going into the rankings of Michigan as a one-loss non-conference champion where you lose to Ohio State, but nobody else, maybe they could get in. That's clearly not the case. And maybe Ohio State has more respect because they've been in the playoffs so many times, but clearly the Big Ten team that gets in, which is going to be between those two, Ohio State and Michigan, it's going to be the winner of the big game. 
or the game. I don't remember if that's the game, and I think Cal Stanford's the big game. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. That matchup will decide who the Big Ten sends in, and it looks like with Ohio State, or Ohio State was at number two, not number three. But still, they weren't number one. Some people thought they had a case for that, but Tennessee's got a, a stronger resume at this point in time. It looks like only one of Ohio State or Michigan are going to be able to get in. That's good news for Oregon because that takes one team out of the running. And if Oregon can continue to win out, they might look at a one-loss conference champion compared to a one-loss non-conference champion and say, yeah, Oregon's loss was really bad, but they've got more good wins. And I think the committee has a tendency to reward wins more than they punish losses. There's a one piece of news concerning the Vols that is concerning as it pertains to Oregon's playoff hopes. It's not a safe bet to get a house and not have Simply Safe as your home security. If you've thought about securing your home with home security but have been putting it off, listen up. Right now, my listeners can get or can order the number one rated Simply Safe home security system for 50% off. It's their biggest offer of the year, and you do not want to miss it. In an emergency, they've got 24/7 professional monitoring agents that use fast protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real so you can get the priority police response that you need. Don't miss your chance to save big on the only security system I recommend. Get 50% off any new Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com slash locked on college. This is their biggest discount of the year, so don't wait. That's simplysafe.com slash locked on college. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Unfortunately for the Ducks, it appears that it could be a safe bet that Tennessee doesn't have to beat Georgia to get it. It's still the best case scenario for. Oregon to have Georgia win out and look dominant doing so. They're eight-point favorites against Tennessee this weekend. We're rooting for the Bulldogs there. We want them to look like world beaters and make that loss look a little more respectable since it was in week one, or at least as much as it can. So the bad news, though, with Tennessee being number one and Georgia being number three is that the committee is looking at the Vols resume, which currently has, I believe, five AP top 25 wins. Oregon's currently got two, right? Opponents who were top 25 at the time. I don't think, uh, or at least I, I not, or not, I think. I know that not every team Tennessee has on its resume that was top 25 at the time is right now because one of those was Kentucky, but that still factors in because the ranking that week is a reflection of how that team had been playing going into it. So even if a team ends the year unranked, you're still going to get some credit for that. Maybe not as much if they were still in the top 25, but you will still get some, and you should. But Tennessee being number one means that if they lose to Georgia but beat everybody else, that 11-1 Tennessee team could very well get in. And if it were to come down to Georgia... Ohio State, let's say Clemson stays undefeated, they go in, and then that fourth slot, Oregon's vying for it as a one-loss conference champion against an 11-1 Tennessee. The best win on either team's resume would probably, we want Alabama to lose as many times as often as well, not just because we want to take them out of the running, but also delegitimize Tennessee's win in that sense. But you could probably make the case easily that the best win between the two teams would be Alabama, 
and that obviously is Tennessee's victory, not Oregon's, because we don't want Bama. Well, we, we, we might want Bama. I don't know. But we don't get Bama regardless. So that's not great news because it looks like a one-loss and 11-1 non-SEC champ Tennessee could very well be in. They'd certainly be ranked ahead of an 11-1 Michigan or an 11-1 Ohio State based on these initial rankings, and maybe that'll change. Maybe that will be an evolving part of the college football playoff rankings we continue to look at, but that, I think, is the biggest concern if you're talking about Oregon's playoff hopes. You just just have to look at that and say, man, they beat Alabama. It was a big stage. Everybody was watching. And then if they go out against Georgia this week and they put up a fight, if they don't lose 49 to three, that makes it even worse. And they're playing in the SEC. So we probably need Tennessee to lose twice. Like they need to lose on Saturday to Georgia. And we also need them to lose again at some point in time. When? I don't know. We'll have to take that on a week by week basis. All right, that's enough playoff talk. Let's get to the upcoming game just a little bit against Colorado and and some of the, the most important players to watch. So number one, top players I'm watching in this game, Dante Thornton. Now, this is an if Chase Coda doesn't play. I expect to see a lot of Dante Thornton. But frankly, I would like Chase Coda to not play because I don't want to risk re-aggravating an injury. He's played a lot of college football. He doesn't need the reps. He doesn't need the experience or anything like that. I want him fully healthy for Oregon's final three games of this season after this one against Colorado. I would also like to see what Dante Thornton could potentially do in an expanded role. He hasn't taken the leap forward like Troy Franklin has the way I think a lot of us expected coming into this season. But if Coda's out, we saw him get a lot of run on Saturday against Cal when Chase Coda wasn't able to play. And sure, we saw Chris Hudson get more involved in the offense. I'm always down for that. I really like Chris Chris Hudson. But I wonder if if Dante Thornton won't be a guy who could have, you know, he had one game, I think it was maybe BYU or Stanford where he had like four catches for 60 yards, but he hasn't had that big breakout game yet. And I, I wonder, I just wonder if, if Coda's not there, if Thornton gets on the field, what sort of plays he could make and, and whether or not we could see more of that potential that we've seen very brief glimpses of over the last season and a half, but but not a ton because this is a talented wide receiver room and you know Chase Coda is clearly ahead of him in the depth chart. I think you have to trust Junior Adams and Kenny Dillingham on on their decision making in that front because the offense has been really good. Um, but I do wonder how much we'll be thro- we'll be throwing the ball because the other thing I'm looking for in this game or other players I should say all the running backs, literally all of them. This is a Colorado team that is allowing 237 rushing yards per game on the ground. Just for reference, Oregon is yielding 108. So on the season, now it's the best mark in the Pac-12 that the Ducks have put up so far. But on the season, Colorado is averaging more than double. More than double rushing yards per game this season. They do not have the bodies over there. I don't know if they have the right coordinator on that side of the ball. They probably don't. Now, they're a little better than when Carl Durrell was there, but they're not much. This is still a talent-depleted roster. They have a major deficiency in that department, and Oregon, as we know, does not. 
Oregon's running for 235 yards a game, which is a lot. That, that is a lot. I expect this, and I will be mildly disappointed or at least surprised, depending on how the, the game flow kind of goes, if Oregon, like they did against Arizona and Stanford, is not over 300 yards rushing. They, they should, it should be that sort of game where Irving's got 100, Whittington's got 70, Dollars has got 40 or 50, Bo Nix is up there as well, and they should be approaching 300 because this Oregon offensive line has dominated everybody this year. This Colorado team is not going to be able to go toe-to-toe with them. They're just not. They're not even in the midst of a rebuild. They haven't started it yet. That That's where Colorado is. They weren't very good going into it. Oregon's a 31.5-point road favorite. There's no reason to suggest that that's an inaccurate or wildly ridiculous line. There shouldn't be a challenge in this game. Overall, it should look kind of like Stanford did. 31-3 to at the half, even though this is on the road, that's what this game should be. And they should be running wild and having big holes created by the offensive line. I fully expect all of that. And if we don't see that, be a little concerning. Because there's going to be a crowd there. You can't go in and say, well, you know, it's a weird environment and not, you know, totally electric, low energy, whatnot. No, there there should be a good number of fans there. Colorado, to their credit, they show up week in and week out, even when their team is really, really bad like it is right now. But I think that when you when you look at what this defense presents, it just should not be much of a challenge. The running back should be able to go crazy in this game. Defensively. I think the biggest thing to look for here is what happens with the number two corner again. And this is kind of receded because we've seen Bridges and Manning often on the field at the same time. But I'm curious to see going into Washington next week that presents a prolific passing offense. To this point in the season, they've been really, really good. I'm excited for their game against Oregon State. It's going to be a great football game in Seattle on Friday night. But the last couple of weeks, I feel like we've seen less and less of Jaleel Florence and more and more Triquez Bridges, Dante Manning. And it feels like there really has been a rotation there. And when they put three corners on the field, which they do pretty often, what we've seen the last couple of weeks, Tosh Lupo and Dan Lanning have taken Christian Gonzalez, our best corner by far, and had him shadow the other team's best receiver, Jake Bobo against UCLA, J. Michael Sturdivant against uh, against Cal. And whether he's been in the slot, the other team's receiver, or out wide, Gonzo's been there. But so if you bring Gonzo into the slot, that then creates a need for two corners on the outside. It's consistently been Triquez Bridges and Dante Manning. Colorado doesn't have the sort of perimeter talent that Cal has which normally is not saying a lot, but I actually like Cal's talent. I don't think they have a tight end that's you know really good, but Jade Knott's a good running back, and we saw what their receivers can do. Those are some tough catches they made. Those are some really tough catches, and I, I was impressed, and I've been impressed with, with kind of what they've had on the outside and how underutilized the receivers have been all year, which we can all relate to after, after watching this team a season ago. So if Gonzo stays on the outside, which I suspect he will because they don't have a guy who, you know, I feel like needs to be shadowed. And JT Shroud's been pretty inconsistent with, with his accuracy this year. He's been turnover prone. Secondary should have at least one pick in this game, if not two or three. That's 
definitely a reasonable expectation defensively going in, and they just they shouldn't allow Colorado to move the ball. This is a really bad Buffs offense. They're averaging under 20. They've only had over 20 points in, I think, one or two games this year. Like it, It's been really, really bad. If the defense, whether in garbage time or not, allows 20 points, yeah, that'd be disappointing. Last week, I said, you know what? You shouldn't allow 20 points to this Cal team. And the starters didn't. And then the reserves did. And I didn't have a problem with that. But the starters shouldn't really allow more than 10 points in this game. They really should. I don't even know if they should allow 10 points in this game. This is a dreadful Colorado offense. They don't have playmakers. They don't have consistent quarterback play. But if Gonzo stays out wide, I'm really curious to see going into a pass-happy team in Washington next week who the coaching staff likes as the number two corner. We've seen flashes of Dante Manning. Got beat a little bit last week, but TriQuest Bridges gets beat all the time. Like, neither one have really put the clamps down on securing that number two cornerback role. But I, I, those are the, those are the, sorry, just like stumbled over my words there for just a moment. Those are the three players slash positions that I'm looking for. Running back, number two corner, and Dante Thornton. I think they're the most intriguing things to watch in this game because overall, it should never be close. It should get ugly really, really fast, and Oregon should win this game. They should put up at least 40 because that's what they always do. But on Colorado, you should be in the 50 to 60 range. I suspect they will. Defense should should, should shut them down. Line's 31.5 for a reason. Let's get to some Oregon basketball talk. It is just about that time. Now, my mission hosting this show for this college basketball season is to get all of you at least 70% as excited for basketball as you all get for football. Because when I first started hosting the show, like I follow podcast numbers and you know what you guys are following and what you want to hear about, what you want to talk about, and questions that come in. And I understand that football is number one priority. It's my number one priority, too. It is the sport I care about the most. I also happen to be a big-time college basketball fan. And it is my goal throughout the course of this basketball season, in which Oregon has some pretty realistic high hopes, to get you all to follow along the way you do for football and care like, like you do for football. I'm not saying there aren't a bunch of you out there who don't. I'm just saying that there are not quite as many who have that same sort of energy. So this is the first time we'll uh, talk a little basketball here. Won't be the last because Oregon's games will uh, will be ongoing and such. College basketball season much longer than football. Um, and I want you to worry thinking that I'm suddenly just going to split it 50-50. I'm not going to do that because I don't care about it 50-50 while Oregon football games are still going on. But... The Ducks got a bad piece of news recently. Jermaine Kuznard, the South Carolina transfer, came over with assistant coach Chuck Martin, who was on the pod uh, over the summer and is an awesome guy. You can go check out that interview wherever you're listening to or watching the show right now. He is going to be out for a good amount of time, is what the word is. He suffered an injury, and that's not good because Oregon's first five games— they should go three and two at the worst. They could go five and zero. Oh. I am fine if they go four and one, but I don't know 
if they can go 5-0 and without Kuznar because he was looking like he'd be the starting two guard back there. If I'm Dana Altman, and we'll see what they roll out on, on Monday when they play Florida A&M. That's their first game. By the way, they have five games in a row at Matthew United Arena. So if you're in Eugene, go watch them play. Go watch them play. I think this team can be good. Can they be great? That remains to be seen. There, there are a number of questions as to whether or not this team could be great. But I think you're starting five without Kuznard is Will Richardson, probably Keyshawn Bartholomew, the Colorado transfer. Quincy Garrier's back. I imagine they will start Kel Elware, the five-star true freshman who looks like a first-round NBA draft pick, probably a one-and-done, but a really talented guy. And then Folly Dante. That's what I would like to see. I like the idea of the Twin Towers with two seven-footers down there because Ware can shoot the ball and move around. He's more athletic, whereas Dante is going to clog up the paint. Kuznard would have been a starter, and their first five games, they got Florida A&M on Monday. That should be an easy win. UC Irvine, don't sleep on that game. The Ducks should win. That is a solid program in the state of California. UC Irvine. We played them in the tournament uh, a few years ago with Peyton Pritchard and Kenny Wooten and Lou King. That is a program that I, I don't know what they are this year. I haven't scouted them or looked at them at all, but I'm just saying don't sleep on on that one. Then Montana State, that's an FCS program, won't be a problem. Then the final two games are where we'll start to get a good idea of what Oregon basketball could be about this year. Because they play number three Houston. <laughs> As a good team off of an elite eight run a season ago in which they beat Arizona in the tournament. Kelvin Sampson is a heck of a basketball coach. And if Oregon at home wins that game, that's going to catapult them into the top 10 early in the year. If they lose that game, maybe they fade out of the top 25, probably not. But then they play UConn, who was a five seed in the tournament a year ago. Again, haven't scouted them much, but that is a historically very respectable basketball program. And so none of these games are ones you can take lightly. Like UConn should be solid. Houston is easily the toughest opponent there. They're the preseason number three for a reason. And I think that'll be a good test of Oregon's chops. And I wonder too, I'll close with this thought, talking about Dana Altman's squad. They have tended to get off to slow starts and then just get better and better and better as the year goes on. I would like to see them get off to a faster start and then get better and better and better as the year goes on because that continued improvement has been a trend with Coach Altman and company, but the fast starts have not always been there. And that's why I think the upcoming week or the upcoming slate of games are so crucial because if they can come out of this 4-1, and one, I'll feel good. But if they beat Houston, they start 5-0, and oh, then we start having Final Four conversations. You got a fifth-year starting point guard in Will Richardson. You got a really good player on the wing who can do it at both ends in Quincy Garrier. You got a wildly talented freshman. You got a productive two-guard coming in. They're also without Rivaldo Soares, who was going to be a bench piece, but I think they've done a good job to replace their bench pieces there. I'm really excited to start watching college basketball again, but I am intrigued to see how this Oregon team will start. The potential's there, but last year... They showed flashes and were never able to put it all together consistently over the course of the whole year. But if they can do that this year, there's no reason they can't be a top four seed in in March Madness when that time comes around. Can't wait. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.